future is now. And welcome to the SVK Crypto Podcast. 15 minutes of crypto value. My name is Charles Story. It's Thursday, which means one thing and one thing only, passing it over to my co-host Jess Holgrave, who will be spearheading today's Women in Blockchain show. She has a very special guest on the show. She has Anne Rose. He's part of the core team over at Mishcon de Rea. Mishcon de Rea, for those who don't know, is a global law firm, independent law firm, should I mention, with an international footprint of offices in London and New York. It's really interesting because we're seeing more and more law firms focusing in on the blockchain space and Mishcon Derea is no exception to that. We're going to be learning more about their views and Anne's views on the blockchain space and how she came into the space as a whole and what her views and thoughts are. So with that in mind, let's pass it over and let's get down to business. Hi everyone, I'm Jess Holgrave and I'm really excited to be guest hosting on the SVK Crypto 15 Minutes of Crypto Fame podcast. I'm a co-founder of Shios, an EOS block producer with a mission to bring more women and diversity into blockchain. And so on Thursdays, for the next few weeks, I'll be bringing stories from interesting women working in the blockchain space to tell you about their work and draw some attention to the things that they are doing in crypto. You can follow me on Twitter at Jessie Block and send me suggestions of women that you would like to hear from. This week, I'm lucky enough to be joined by Anne Rose, co-lead of the blockchain group at Mishkondorea. Anne and I met at a recent Midtown Business Club event about art and blockchain and got chatting about all sorts of things. So I'm really excited to have you on the program today. Thank you so much, Jess. I'm really honored to be on here. Um, So let's kick off as normal. I'd love to hear a little bit about your background, how you um, got into blockchain and, and, you know, kind of, yeah, how did you get here? Yeah, sure. I mean, as a child, I always wanted to know how everything worked and why. And my parents really encouraged this. And I used to do projects like every summer. And one year, like my mom helped me make my own radio And it was probably like when I was around 11, I got really interested in how the internet worked and why. And my dad took me to that library and I got some books on how the internet worked. And then we went to Waterstones and there was a book there on HTML for dummies. And then I kind of developed this massive love of programming languages. And then it kind of just went from there. And when I was at university, that was probably the first time I heard about blockchain. And it wasn't until a few years ago when I started to disassociate the technology from cryptocurrencies that I really got into blockchain technology and its potential to shape the future. And I suppose in the past few months or so, I've been really interested in real world use cases and exploring the myriad of legal issues that kind of come up from an IP or data perspective. So last year, I spent quite a few months researching data protection challenges for blockchain technology and uh, very excited. I've kind of got an academic article coming out in the Interactive Entertainment Law Review at the end of May on that. And most recently, I've been made head of the legal and regulatory um, tech London Advocates blockchain group. And I feel so privileged to be leading this group. I kind of really hope it will get lawyers sharing their experiences they're coming across and trying to develop consistent standards across the board so you can really shape the future of this technology. That's awesome. So tell me more about that group. What's your, you know, apart from that being your mission, you know, who's involved and and who else might want to get involved? 
So it's really exciting. It's mainly going to be legal practitioners. Um, it's supported by the Law Society. And the whole point of it is to be able to come up with consistent definitions that can be used across the board when legal practitioners are dealing with blockchain technology. So if they've got blockchain as a service and kind of thinking about standard definitions that might be used to avoid any confusion. I also want to be able to invite speakers to come along from the industry to give people insight into real life use cases as to what they're doing with this technology. And I just really hope it will be a collaborative atmosphere where everyone can share about what they're working on and the potential challenges they see going forward. And it'd be really great to then feed in our advice and work with the Law Society um, to really shape the future of this technology. That's awesome. I, uh, I think it's so interesting to see how this technology is, um, you know, impacting so many businesses, not just, um, you know, people who have blockchain at the core of their business, but now all sorts of different industries trying to, um, you know, think about how this technology is, is going to affect them. And I think, you know, the, the kind of the legal sector is no different, right? That's a, a oh, yeah, an industry absolutely. of itself. How do you think about the impact of this technology actually on on that i think there are two ways it could really affect the legal practice i think it's got the potential to act as a secure database where documents such as evidence could be stored and then referenced later on if arguments arise and i think it also create a way for contracts to be created and transferred digitally reducing the need for legal instruments and this can improve efficiency by significantly reducing the costs of entering into contractual arrangements by enabling people to transact directly with one another through a computer interface, as well as reducing the costs of monitoring and enforcement. Um, but overall, I think the take-up could be quite slow. Um, and I think some of the reasons for that is, you know, people are having to think about the design of the, the blockchain model itself and carefully considering, you know, how the model works to ensure compliance with certain regulations and regulatory authorities. And also, you know, creating a compliant blockchain model, which is secure and makes denial of service attacks less effective, can be quite expensive. And it requires a considerable amount of time and resource. And also, I think people need to be educated and their attitudes towards the technology needs to change a little bit. Yeah, I think there, there's so many kind of really interesting applications. I, I've come across a couple of companies recently you know, interested in the kind of automation of legal contracts and um, particularly when it comes mm -hmm. to micropayments of, uh, you know, through smart contracts and things like that. I think that there's a, there's a huge amount of, of cool things um, in the works. But as you say, it's still pretty early days from, from the tech side. Um, you know, thinking about these things, how, do, how would you, you know, would you envisage something like a sort of legal, um, you know, consortium blockchain a little bit like we have in financial services or um, you know how do you think something like that might work yeah it's interesting um, I think we're still a long way from that and that's almost uh, visionary um, and it would for that to work there'd have to be a reason for law firms to work together to have that as a database you know, so I think there's yeah. a lot of at the moment, you know, you think about Occam's razor and don't multiply entities beyond necessity. And I think in some circumstances, you know, the existing model, how it works right now, where law firms are each independent of one another may, you know, be more efficient than having a blockchain model where there's a consortium 
where they all work together. It'd be hard to sometimes to think of a use case where that might work. Yeah, I think um, that obviously the sort of the legal spectrum is so, um, you know, so broad in terms of the things it covers that there are probably some things that where it's very easy to automate and, um, you know, natural progression. And there's others that are so specialist or unique that, um, you know, technology maybe has less of a role to play. Yes, absolutely. I agree with that. Um, and so aside from, um, you know, the impact on uh, of blockchain on the legal sector, what are you excited about? I guess, what kind of trends are you seeing with, with clients that you work with or think projects that you have come across that you're excited about for 2019? Yeah, I mean, there's been so many exciting projects recently. And I think we're just at the beginning of what this technology can do for the world. And, you know, some of its key features of, you know, transparency, enhanced security, traceability, I think is is fantastic. And we've got people exploring it and certainly think about it in a whole range of different sectors, whether they be in the media industry and publishing, um, whether they are in life sciences, um, real estate, um, whether they're thinking of it as a tool in handling certain types of data, I think it's a really exciting space to be in. Um, and I think though people are also still very skeptical, but it's not necessarily a bad thing. I actually think, you know, this is a, we should be challenging each other and questioning it and thinking about it. And if this technology is really going to take off, I think it's important to have a certain bit of skepticism in that place. Absolutely. What, what are the sort of, are there particular things that, you are concerned about or that you think we should really be uh, as an industry thinking about to make sure that we don't kind of uh you know mess up this this opportunity that we have it's really great that you asked me that i actually think it's so important to educate people about this technology and i think right now blockchain and crypto are fundamentally misunderstood by a lot of people and i also think you know the the press has kind of perpetuated a lot of myths and the misuse of this technology could actually deprive people of the opportunity for efficiency savings um, by scaring them off. I think that's one of the biggest problems. Um, another one, I think, as well as user experience. So I think we've still got a long way to go before cryptocurrencies and blockchain are accessible to everyone and easy to use. I think even though people who are kind of techn- technically proficient are struggling right now with the way some of this works. I think we need to get to a point where a consumer doesn't even know that a blockchain technology is being used, but you know they might have an app with a QR code, for example, um, which then gives them a whole realm of information, particularly about maybe a product that they're buying in store. And you know, I mean, I don't blame people for not being able sometimes to process these pretty complicated concepts. I mean, you know, they've got terrible names as well. You're talking about cryptographic algorithms and hash functions and nodes and people called miners who verify transactions. Um, and I don't, yeah, I think it's it can be quite a complicated area for people to understand. Education's really important. Yeah, I I agree with you there. The the learning curve is still quite steep, I think, for people who first come across these things and, and interact with blockchains. And, um, you know, we we ultimately need to kind of lower those barriers for people so that, um, 
what we're building is actually just super useful and makes people's lives better or cheaper or something rather than um, you know this kind of hurdle that they have to get across even just to start yeah absolutely Um, so the other thing that I'm really interested to discuss with you is this sort of um, I guess relationship between blockchain development and and the law and particularly in the context of regulatory frameworks I think a lot of people when they think about um, you know the blockchain and and I think probably a lot of our listeners are people who work in blockchain companies or, um, you know, are interested to work in blockchain companies. But obviously there's a sort of a a whole regulatory and legal framework that, um, you know, is is in many ways still evolving because this technology is is really new. I'm interested in your perspective on that. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, and I think these are some of the issues that really need to be considered at the outset. You know, if you take data protection, for example, we had some um, guidelines come out from the CNIL, which is the French Data Protection Authority, um, last year. And they're very much looking at to ensure compliance with data protection legislation, making sure people are kind of doing a data mapping process at the beginning to assist to identify whether personal data is going to be stored on the blockchain, off the chain or in the side chain. And, you know, you must have thought about this as well when you were founding Codex. You know, and you created this non-fungible token, this ERC721 token, and that can represent the item and store metadata on that item. But none of the data is actually stored on the blockchain itself. It's stored off the chain. There's a link so that any provenance information that's attached can be uploaded and linked to that token that represents the item. And I think there seems to be a confusion as well at the moment as well, whether hashes are personal data and you know that a hash itself is a form of pseudonymization which means that you know the identity of that individual can no longer be attributed to the individual without the use of additional information but it would still be classified as personal data under data protection legislation interesting so, yeah so it's it just kind of educating people as to how this works and thinking about their frameworks yeah, I think it's um that there's a there's a lot to think about. And so, you know, if you if you have um you know, if, if anybody's listening who is thinking of starting a company or is working for a new company in the blockchain space, what are ways that um, you know, aside from kind of going and finding a a lawyer to to kind of work with them, what are ways that people can educate themselves about the frameworks that they're operating in? That's a really interesting question. I think it's talking with other people as well, getting some advice there. But I think at the very outset, I mean, if you can obviously go to a lawyer, that's that's best. But just thinking about how you're building, if you're building a new platform and you're not relying on an existing platform, um, just thinking about some of the implications that may be involved, whether it's from a data protection perspective, thinking about consumer protection, If you are using cryptocurrencies, thinking about any regulatory issues, thinking about tax, thinking about, you know, how you'd manage disputes and what sort of law you might want to govern your platform and whether you want to rely on the courts or uh, or arbitration. Um, And I think as well, one key thing, which a lot of people I find don't seem to think about is that open source software is ubiquitous in blockchain technology and open source software is a type of computer software that's distributed 
with its source code available for modification. And, you know, it's certainly the case in public blockchain platforms like Bitcoin and Ethereum, um, but it's even the case with, you know, the leading commercial permissioned blockchain platforms like Hyperledger and Corda. And depending which platform you use, you may have to make any modifications you've made to your software and any derivative works you've created available to everyone. And I think that's kind of very important for companies who wish to use these solutions that rely on these softwares from these leading platforms to really consider the impact of the licenses that govern the software and the extent it wishes to encumber its intellectual property portfolio with open source obligations. That's so interesting. I think um, I was reading a really cool article um, uh, yesterday about the kinds of licensing that that people are using and and. And I think it's it's definitely something that people don't necessarily think through at the outset and and then can sometimes sort of uh, stumble later on and, and come across some issues um, that they that they maybe haven't thought about in advance. Yes, absolutely. Um, awesome. Well, I, I that's been that's been so interesting to, to think about um, a lot of things that um, perhaps, you know, don't naturally become the first thing that you think about when you're starting a business but I think especially things like tax and all these other things um you know it's crucial to to bear in mind everything that needs to be dealt with when you're entering uh you know or starting a venture um whether it's that's in this sort of blockchain space or not but I think in particularly in this space it can be it can be really complex. Um, you know, yeah. one of the reasons that we do this this podcast is obviously to um, kind of draw attention to to great women who are working in this space. And so um, I always ask my interviewees if they have advice um, for other people who are maybe looking to get into blockchain or um, just starting out their, their kind of career in blockchain. What, what would you say to anyone? Yeah, I think one of the first things is educate yourself, read up as much as you can on this area. I mean, you had some speakers on the other week, um, Rhea and Beatrice from Circle, and they're doing some fantastic research in this area. It's so interesting. And I think the more you read up on it, the more as well you're able to decipher and distinguish between what's great information that's out there and what's not such great information. Um, And I also think meeting people in this space, you know, we met at that um, event, you know, art and blockchain and actually feel like, from my experience, many people in this space are very welcoming. Yes. Yeah, Um, that's overwhelmingly my experience too. Yeah. And and so I think for women, especially as well, if, if, if they're lawyers, there's a fantastic book out there called Blockchain and the Law. Um, the Rule of Code by Primaveri um, de Filippi. And it's absolutely fantastic book as well. And it's kind of c- can combine both your passions as well in, in blockchain technology and the law too. Well, Primavera is an artist as well. I didn't know, I don't know if you knew that. Yes, uh, yeah. She's the creator of this amazing piece called The Plantoid, which is this sort of sculpture that performs and dances when you donate Bitcoin to it. Um, yeah, it's incredible. yeah she's uh she's an extremely impressive lady so that's a a great recommendation um so I always finish my interviews with a quick fire round of questions um 
The first one is if you're a late night person or an early morning person. I'm guessing both if you're a lawyer. <laughs> I'd probably say neither. I actually love my sleep. <laughs> um, and if you're an animal, what would you be? Oh, I think it'd have to be either a butterfly or a caterpillar, depending on my state of metamorphoses. <laughs> like learning and developing all the time. So yeah, depending on where I've got to and <laughs> one or the other. That's great. Um, and do you have a sort of historical inspirational figure or somebody that you uh, kind of really look up to? Oh, um, I'd probably say my mum. <laughs> Great. Um, strong woman. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and if you weren't doing your current job as uh, as a lawyer in the blockchain space, what would you do? Oh, that's a really tricky question. Um, well, I've always been interested in sports and nutrition, so I may end up doing something in that area. Um, but I absolutely love what I do and uh, I absolutely love technology and the law so it's it's great to be able to combine both of those but I also have a very um, uh, great interest in sports and nutrition as well. <laughs> cool um, and who is your favourite person to follow on crypto Twitter? Ooh um, I'd probably say Sally Eves I really enjoy following um, she's kind of like advisor and mentor for lots of different um, blockchain startups and partnerships. Um, I also really enjoy following Laura Shin, um, yeah. who's a crypto blockchain journalist. And I think Neher Naruda as well, I really enjoy following. She was previously a Google engineer and she's now relaunched a news aggregator, Dig. Um, she's also great to follow. Chris Larson as well from Ripple. Um, and then I suppose um, Jacqueline de Rojas, she's a very inspiring woman. She's not necessarily in crypto itself, but she's like the president of Tech UK. Awesome. That's a that's a great list of additions for people looking to to switch it up on their Twitter feed. Um, <laughs> if people want to follow you or find out more about you or contact you, how how can they do that? Yeah, absolutely. I suppose on my Twitter, it's at Anne underscore Emma underscore Rose, or they can look me up on LinkedIn as well. Excellent. So anybody out there who needs a an expert blockchain lawyer, um, I'm, I hope they'll, they'll be coming your way shortly. <laughs> Fantastic. I'd be delighted to help. And thank you so much for your time today. Um, it's been so great Thanks to so hear a different perspective and, and um, look forward to seeing you soon. Yeah, absolutely. Can't wait. Thank you so much for having me, Jess. Thanks. Thank you. All right. What an episode. What a show. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening. If you haven't already, hit us up on Twitter at SVK underscore crypto. Feel free to join our Telegram, SVK Crowd. If you type that in, you'll find us. And if you have any questions or queries, feel free to email myself, cstory, C-S-T-O-R-R-Y at svkcrypto.com. If you want to contact Anne, feel free. Her um, company, Twitter page will be in the description below. With that in mind, that's a wrap. I've got to bounce. Thank you so much for your time and attention.